Good evening, and thank you for joining us for On the Agenda, a podcast of Agenda Alexandria where we provide you with a preview of our upcoming program. This particular program is made possible thanks to the ALX community. You can find more about the community and how to produce your own podcast by visiting alxcommunity.com. Tonight's live stream is also in collaboration with ZTV and the Zebra newspaper. Make sure to follow them on Facebook and visit thezebra.org to subscribe to their newspaper. Now, on the agenda tonight is a preview of our upcoming program, Surviving the Cost of Living in Alexandria. And tonight, I am delighted to welcome our guest, Helen McElvain, who is the Director of Housing for the City of Alexandria. Is that correct? That's right, Virginia, and thanks very much for inviting me. Thank you, Helen. Um, I thought that just... uh, to like get us started, first of all, tell us what your department does. Great. I'd be glad to. So we have a couple of different uh, functions. Uh, we work with nonprofits and private developers and with the local housing authority to finance and build affordable housing and help structure the financing, uh, those kinds of things. We provide landlord-tenant services to both landlords and tenants to resolve uh, disputes or uh, problems. And the goal, of course, is to keep people in their housing. Right. Uh, and to that end, over the past couple of years, we've been very, very busy, first with our own rental assistance program uh, during the pandemic and now supporting the state-administered program. We conduct fair housing testing to make sure that people aren't discriminated against uh, in their uh, in their housing. Uh, we provide loans to help people become first-time homeowners, okay. and uh, that's a that's been something our office has done for 40 years. Uh, we also provide home rehabilitation loans to typically very low and moderate income very often elderly homeowners, Mm -hmm. again, with a purpose to address issues in the home, to make modifications for accessibility, to make them more energy efficient, again, with the goal of helping people stay affordably in their homes. Uh, We do a similar program in rental housing, uh, providing modifications for persons with disabilities. And uh, our program comes in, and we hire the architects and engineers to figure out how to make the modification and uh, manage the program and and pay for it. And then we also... um, uh, We also provide a lot of education and training. So in addition to, like, home ownership training and... Uh, foreclosure prevention, uh, we have a very important program. We have so many units that are common interest community mm-hmm. homes, uh, condos, uh, homes and homeowner associations. So we provide um, governance training so that people who live in these communities understand sort of the rights and responsibilities. Okay. Very often with a condo, it's run by a board. They're usually people. They're not experts. They're the people who, you know, showed up at the meeting when the elections <laughs> were held. And, of course, they have some very uh, complicated financial decisions they, they make as board members. So we're very lucky. Uh, a local law firm provides has provided that to us pro bono for years. And um, this last couple 
couple of years we've been virtual and it's very well attended great discussions mm -hmm. and uh, so we think education and and really helping the community understand both the need for affordable housing but how we're meeting that challenge is sort of all part of what we do that's a good place to segue to my next question um, as I'm sure you are well aware, affordable housing is a really hot topic in the community right now. I would like to get your perspective and get a, a definition of affordable housing, because I, I don't think everybody quite understands what it is. Not only affordable housing, but what differentiates it from low-income housing? Well, they, they can both be the same, but when we talk about affordable housing, we're usually talking about housing um, that is affordable to families earning up to 60% of the area median income. And I will, for one second, go to my uh, cheat sheet. Oh, so uh, until recently, um, it, the, the income limits changed today and went up by about 10%. Uh, but the for a four-person household, 60% of the area median income is uh, $77,400. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about affordable housing, it's something that a household with that income or below could afford. And the measure we usually talk about is, you know, it's affordable if a family is spending no more than 30% of their gross income on the housing, because we know that people need money to pay for childcare, uh, for health care, groceries, all those things, uh, their gas or transportation. So that has typically been for a very long time the measure that we use to say, if you're paying more than that, you may be burdened. You have less money for other things. Okay. Um, so again, uh, today and, and in our area, so they look, the way it it works is that they look at specific geographic areas or metropolitan areas. Mm -hmm. And then uh, this work is done by HUD each year. But they look and they figure out what is the area median income. And then very often we talk about percentages of that area median income so that a person who is 60% or below is really struggling to find something affordable in the city just because it costs so much. Um, and, and incomes have not really kept pace with right. the cost of housing in our very desirable city. But when we talk about affordable housing in Alexandria, we are not talking single family houses. For the, I, not really not any longer. Yeah. Uh, there have been points, of course, in the past where uh, Alexandria was relatively affordable. Right. But now um, the cost of single family homes has gone up. I think it's almost like 300% over since we, we typically look back towards 2000 and, you know, use that as a benchmark time when we really began to see. Um, you know, the cost of housing going up, up, and up. Although I will say when our office moved to another side of the building a few years ago, I came across, you know, reports where even in the late 80s and early 90s, um, our city council was noting that housing was becoming, you know, more and more expensive. Mm -hmm. And so for things like rent, we've seen that grow also by, you know, 
thousands of dollars uh, sometimes per month. So, so when we talk about affordable housing again, are we talking, do these tend to be rental units or are these actually places that people are buying? <coughs> Excuse me. Some kind well, of combination. Uh, well, we, we talk about both. Okay. Um, so we, we do look at, um, you know, first rental housing and what you need to be able to rent an average one or two bedroom house in the city. And it, it took, um, it takes about $76,000 a year to be able to um, afford a, an average uh, one bedroom unit. Uh, given what where the rents are in the mm -hmm. city, and even more if it's a luxury unit or a, a fancier unit, and the same with with um, affordable home ownership. Now most people are limited to condos if they're a first time right. buyer. We're very fortunate that the city has a lot of condos, um, and we even have a pretty significant number that you can get into for under three hundred thousand. Mm -hmm. But of course, with condos, we also have to be keeping our eye on condo fees condo and fees. other costs. So, so we're really looking at the total housing cost usually when we consider the cost of housing. And we know that about 75% of households that um, make $75,000 or less are cost burdened in the city. So unless they are lucky enough to have a housing choice voucher, a subsidy to help them afford Is the rent. Section eight? That is what used to be called Section, Section 8, 8 okay. now a Housing Choice Voucher. Housing Choice Voucher, And that, okay. that makes up the difference between what that household can afford mm -hmm. and what the rent, the asking rent is. So it's it's a supplement to what the family pays. Um, but, you know, it's just we're in a very expensive place to live. And uh, so, you know, affordable housing, and when you, when you said, well, who, who qualifies? Well, if you've had a college student who returns and has to stay with you for a while because, you know, they can't make enough and sometimes not even enough for a while as right. a roommate, uh, you know, we, at various stages of life, we have people who have real affordability challenges. And for persons with disabilities who may be very limited, uh, you know, um, finding housing is a real is a really tough thing to do for anyone a on a fixed income. Um, going back to the city's 2013 housing plan, the goal was to have two. As I understand, it, the goal was to have 2,000 affordable housing units by 2025. Right. We we actually have a phrase that's it's important: uh, new affordability in 2,000 units, because we also wanted to not rule out, um, you know, investing in properties that were affordable to keep them affordable for the next 40 years. Okay. So, so okay. we didn't want to rule out preserving. We call, we call that, you know, preserving something that's affordable. But we've been predominantly focused on developing new affordable housing and adding to the stock of affordable housing. So where are you in that goal? So I'm happy to report <laughs> that we have um, identified how we're going to get there. 
Um, the projects have been approved. Some of them still require that we find all of the funding needed to, okay. to pull them off. But we are going to be able to meet our goal. And we um, are, the, the goal was to do it by 2025. Mm -hmm. So we've been using the phrase, we're on track. But I think tonight we can say um, we are there. We still have to build a few of these, but uh, we certainly have identified them. And so what we've begun to do is plan for uh, our next target. Okay. And that brings up an interesting point of where they're going to be built. Because um, I think most specifically of the new developments that are going in. And almost any time you hear about a developer coming in, it is a mixed-use project. There is going to be retail on the lower level, and there are going to be X number of units, and there are X number of that you're going to have affordable housing. At the same time, we know that developers can opt to contribute to the affordable housing fund versus actually building affordable housing units. So I guess two questions. Do you have statistics on how many, let's say in the past three years, how many developments, how many people have opted to, to actually give money to the fund versus actually building affordable housing units. So mm -hmm. our our housing trust fund, which is uh, the, the developer contributions, is a voluntary fund. Mm -hmm. um, and it's based on, there's a calculation based on the square footage in the development. So I'm, again, I'm very glad to report that nearly all of our developers uh, comply with this voluntary policy. We do hope to make it a mandatory policy, and I think most developers would say they consider it to be a mandatory policy. So everyone contributes based on the size and square footage of the development. Affordable housing units are required only when a developer asks for more density than is um, you know, uh, that they then they can get by right. So there are cases where the units are required. But the other thing that we've really been very successful at doing is negotiating with developers. We have very clear, um, we try to set very clear expectations about what we consider the value of the unit to be. So if they are making a, a monetary contribution and we say, could we get some units in this project? We, in most cases, they're very willing to work with us and do that. So we've had good luck, I would say, over the last decade or more getting units in nearly every project, which is very important to us. Having a good geographic distribution of affordable housing is very important to, you know, providing access, especially to neighborhoods of opportunity, mm -hmm. but also to... Um, you know, make sure that there's no neighborhood where affordable housing isn't able to occur. Interesting. So let me make sure I have this right. If a developer comes in on a project and they ask for more density, basically a variance. More height, more density. That's right. anything, they have to build, include affordable housing units in that project. Yes, and the, the measure is typically one-third of that additional extra bonus density is provided as affordable housing. So if you come in and ask for 
30,000 uh, additional square feet, 10,000 will be um, allocated to affordable housing, okay. and we might say that's 10 units if you look at 1,000 square feet average or something. Okay. So that's, that's sort of the math of it. So in that case, we are... Um, that's the one case where it's required, it's mandatory that they provide affordable housing. Okay. So speaking of density, I know that the, the city has proposed a, a new variance that would increase density by increasing height allowance on buildings. That's right. In, in buildings that typically, it would allow it in buildings that currently... Um, where it's not allowed. So it would take it down to buildings 45 feet or uh, at, and 50. 50 feet is typically where it would kick in if it's allowed in that area. And this would allow buildings at 45 feet to also make use of, of bonus height. Okay. There's, there seems to be a lot of pushback from kind of from what I'm hearing. I, I think from some neighborhoods, I think it's, you know, I, I would say I was in the community meeting a week ago. I think as people understand it, it's it's a it's it's a limited tool. I think we the thing we're really pushing ourselves to do now is to say, where can we get incremental numbers of units that still, you know, where where someone wants something and they, use this bonus density or height tool to do it. So at least the city is getting some affordable housing in return. I mean, we all see buildings that go up and sometimes we can't get it. So so none of none of the things that are being looked at currently would make a huge difference, but it's a little bit like the accessory dwelling unit policy. Mm -hmm. It allows for, it, it increases the supply of housing, it provides other options. Uh, those aren't even necessarily committed affordable housing, but just because of their by their type and design and other factors, they're more naturally occurring affordable housing. I was going to say I I think that some people have the sense when we talk about affordable housing that it is going <coughs> it's going to be like a, a block of a building set down in the middle of a neighborhood that is all going to be affordable housing. And that's, from what I understand, that's not really what you're talking about. You're talking about dispersing it throughout the community um, so that people are in affordable housing are integrated into the community as would be other residents of the building. So what I was trying to, uh, what I was trying to describe. For instance, the housing that is between Route 1, at Patrick and Henry, Route 1 South, R Route 1 North, um, the, kind of near the McDonald's. The, the Oh, yes, the yes. Bloom. No, not the Bloom, the older housing, the older... Okay, so that, that some of that is public housing. Yes. Uh, owned by the Alexandria Redevelopment and Housing Authority, okay. ARHA. All right. So is that what we used to call low-income housing, or it's just... Right. The housing that's owned by ARHA is typically, um, is referred to sometimes as public housing. It, it related to the way um, the subsidy associated with it. Um, okay. And typically is the housing option for people at the lowest income levels. 
uh, that zero to 30% people who may have disabilities or other um, other things. So it, it serves a very important part um, in terms of serving people on the continuum of housing. Um, but uh, ARHA over time has been redeveloping these older developments right. and creating mixed income, mixed use development okay. communities. And in fact, the housing you mentioned is their next targeted redevelopment project. Okay. So um, you prop, but you know, there, there was a project called uh, James Bland uh, around the Houston Center. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. that has now, you know, five blocks of housing at all price points from way over a million dollars right. to right. Uh, housing units that serve people who would typically be in public housing. I just I drive that corridor every day. And mm -hmm. so I'm really aware of those buildings. And similar to the development, the public housing in Old Town, um, <clears throat> Chatham Square. I don't know the name of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's what's so great, in my view, about all the housing that the city has helped to sponsor is it's beautiful. Um, people who come will say, what happened to the public housing? And we're proud to say it's still there. But it's part of a very seamless part of this whole development. And, uh, you know, it's something that we can be really proud of as, as Alexandrians is that for more than 30 years, uh, we've had a joint commitment with ARHA that every public housing unit that's redeveloped or demolished is replaced. So we've had no loss of that housing that serves people who, who really need it. Okay. I'm glad to hear that. And that, that helps me understand a little bit more you know, what we're talking about in terms of buildings that are being taken down and replaced. And I have seen some of that development um, along there. Yeah. And people, you know, sometimes I've had the opportunity to do sort of um, windshield tours with people. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they, they've heard about something coming to their community. And I say, you know, would you like to go out for a ride with me? And as we're riding around, they're guessing what's affordable housing. And in nearly every case, they're wrong. And then they see some beautiful building. And I said, that's that's the affordable housing I wanted you to see today. So it is, nice. it's something I think some of the city's most beautiful residential buildings are, are the affordable housing. But that's what we're going for. We want it to be something the whole community feels proud of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, thank you again. I, I did want to bring up one more thing, and then, then we'll wrap this up. <clears throat> right at the very beginning, you mentioned that you do fair housing checks. And I'm a realtor, and I know <laughs> that not abiding by fair housing guidelines can get you in a world of trouble. <laughs> it is. It is one of the things that is just reinforced time and time again about fair housing and the the variety of things that that covers oh and and we we our office does testing every year we test both uh, for sale housing <laughs> and all parts of the process mm -hmm. so um sales um we haven't tested appraisals which of course the federal government has been looking at yes to see the difference in how uh, people are treated depending on um you know uh, typically it's it's race or national origin how how the appraisal turns out um but we um we do that we do rental housing each mm -hmm. year so last year we tested um landlords are no longer um 
allowed to discriminate against people who have Section 8 vouchers mm -hmm. as part of the uh, income they have for rent. And uh, this year, we just completed a race and national origin test in, in uh, sales housing and being qualified to buy. So yeah, I, it's it's a it's a point that we have to pay a lot of attention to. So yes, we have great training, <laughs> yes. and, and 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 I think the other thing is that most folks who work in the housing industry understand how important it is to be welcoming to people. Yeah, I will say from from my standpoint, appraisals have not. We haven't seen that issue that I know mm -hmm. in California in particular has has been a problem. Mm -hmm. um, so I hope it stays that way. Yeah. I hope it stays well, that way. Well, thank you again for being with us this evening. I hope we did not bring on that coffee bit I, with I, our you questions. You know what? When, when, you, when you invited me a week ago, I thought, surely this bad cold will have healed. But your, your questions uh, are, are not responsible. Good. And again, I, really, I apologize I really... to you and to everybody else. Not I, at all. Not I at jumped all. with we a just... colleague. I hoped it wouldn't happen. <laughs> we just had to wing it a little bit, but that's perfectly okay. So thank you again. I hope you'll join us perhaps on Monday night. Uh, either online well, or Well, you have the A-team for sure. That I is a do. great I'm group so of, of women. And our, I mean, our, our Alexandria's done a marvelous job through the pandemic and making sure that there was a safety net for everyone. Yeah. So and I think we can all be very, um, you know, feel very um, happy that our neighbors, um, you know, got through it because of yes. our community's collective action. I couldn't agree with you more. And that's one reason we wanted to talk about it. So thank you, Ricardo. Thank you for everybody who listened in tonight. And we will see you next month. But more importantly, we'll see you on Monday night at Agenda Alexandria. <laughs>